0: Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bill. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome again to the Brookside campus of Christ Community. I don't know if you saw Bill's name tag, but it looks a little less like Bill and a little more like B-119, like he's a new Star Wars droid or something. Um, anyone see Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, me neither. All right. Um, I, I'm, my name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and I'd love to, to pray with us. We're, we're about to enter a time uh, of teaching where we open up God's Word, we explain it, we seek to understand it. Um, but let me pray for us before we do that. Father God, I thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for uh, the beauty of celebration and of joy, even for some of us in the midst of pain. God, honestly, I am weary this morning. I'm weak. We need your power uh, to understand your word. And God, we know that your power is perfected in our weakness. So God, I pray that your power would be made known to us and would move in us this morning. Would your glory rest on this place. Pray this in the name of your son Jesus, by the power of his spirit. Amen. Well, uh, my grandma fair is one of my favorite people in the entire world. I didn't really get to see her too frequently, but about once or twice a year, and every time that I did, I discovered a deepening love and appreciation for the kind of person that she was. Now Grandma was someone who had every reason to be bitter in her old age. She was involved in a car accident in her, her when she was middle-aged, and that messed up her body for the rest of her life. She was married to a man whom, though we all loved, uh, was a little hard to live with at times. She battled and beat breast cancer three times in her, her 60s and 70s. And as she aged, she lost friends, she lost relatives, she lost her hearing, and slowly her, her lungs deteriorated uh, to when the last portion of her life was spent with the breathing apparatus that that went with her everywhere she went. But in spite of these circumstances, what's so amazing to me is that my grandma remained one of the sweetest, most tender, gentle, caring, and servant-hearted people that I ever met. She had a devout love for Jesus, and she still is an emblem in my life today of what it looks like to have joy. And it's not an accident that that, that's her name either, Joy. As I look back and and reflect, uh, ultimately I I realized that, that Grandma Joy was an example to me of what it looks like to age well, of what it looks like to age well. This idea of aging well is important to me because as I look around our world, we live in kind of a youth-obsessed world, don't we? We, we are obsessed. We're obsessed with, 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 with doing everything we can to keep ourselves from, from, from getting older, of keeping ourselves young, of slowing down the aging process. On top of that, marketing agencies, companies that are hiring our society as a whole continues to target and value younger generations to an increasing degree. And we even see this in the church too, as many churches are increasingly working to to value the needs of young people and their opinions and, and even giving leadership opportunities to younger generations. Now, now I'm, let me be honest, I'm a fan of empowering young people. Uh, I, if you haven't noticed, you look at me, you're like, you're either 20 or 40, I don't know what, uh, but I'm not 80, and, uh, and, and so I'm, I'm all for, I'm a huge fan of empowering young people. Especially in the church, where we kind of have a, a long history of undervaluing young people all the way back to disciples that are like swatting kids off Jesus like mosquitoes, like he's not for you, Right. But I do worry that if we aren't careful, we will become so youth-obsessed that we will not only start to overlook older generations, but that we will also lose a vision of what it looks like to age well. Many of you who are in this room this morning who are older have my grandma's same joy and gentleness, and no doubt it's the fruit of years and years and years of following Jesus. But at the same time, it's also easy for all of us, no matter what our age is, to grow bitter and resentful and cynical as we age. We can become more stubborn and set in our ways. So so whether you're here this morning and you're five, and I know we have a lot more kids this morning, it's worship together. Whether you're five, 25, 45, 85, we all need to ask ourselves, are we living our lives in such a way that each year we are growing more jaded or more joyful? That we are growing bitter or, or or better? That we are we are growing grumpy or or grateful? Are we aging well? As we finish our series on the first songs of Christmas, we're looking at an often older, overlooked elderly woman named Anna uh, who joins Simeon as Jesus is presented at the temple. You can see a, a picture of this that was drawn by, by one of our talented artists in, in our congregation. But, but when she comes on the scene, she actually doesn't sing a song. In fact, Luke spends more time in these three short verses that she gets describing Anna than he spends on what her response to Jesus actually was. Why is this? I think, I think it's because her lifestyle is more important for understanding her presence in this crucial moment in God's redemptive history and for understanding her role in the story. It's her lifestyle. And when we look and get a picture at Anna's lifestyle, she reveals this, that aging well demands a lifestyle of preparation. Aging well demands a lifestyle of preparation. The picture of Anna that Luke gives us is the picture of an elderly woman who is active and living in constant expectancy for a move of God in her lifetime. And and as we survey the the scope of her life, and we don't get much information on her, only three verses, but in those verses, we actually kind of get a whole picture of what her life was like. As we we survey the scope of her life, we'll get a glimpse of a few things that we need to live our lives, no matter what our age is, with this same kind of expectancy and preparation. So if you will, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 36. Let's look at how Luke starts to describe Anna Verse 36 There was also a prophetess Anna a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher She was well along in years having lived with her husband 7 years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years So what Luke's starting to do here uh, is establish Anna as a credible witness to Jesus birth as we'll actually look at next week as we look at Luke chapter 1 verse 1 Luke's whole purpose in writing this biography of Jesus is to establish a historical account of of things that actually happened. So to do this, he needed to present a few trusty eyewitnesses to prove the validity of the story. So the first thing that that Luke tells us for for Anna's credentials is that she was a prophetess. If you're not familiar, prophets were were men and women who, who spoke on behalf of God. Often, if you, if you see prophets in Scripture, they would receive some kind of a word from God and then they would sort of be a, a spokesperson in delivering that word to Israel. And if you look across the pages of Scripture, we actually only see a handful of women who were named as prophets. I think only seven uh, in, in Scripture, and Anna is one of them. As a prophetess, Israel would have seen Anna as someone who was specially endowed with the Holy Spirit, and this fits in well with what Luke is trying to do. Because we, as as we keep studying the Gospel of Luke in, in 2020, uh, we see that Luke shows a really unique care for women in his gospel. And women were, were, were fairly devalued and looked down on in the society of, uh, of Luke's day. And so Anna, the prophetess, really is a reminder, an early reminder, that God gives gifts to people regardless of gender. God gives his gifts to people regardless of gender. So he shows us that, that she's a prophetess. Uh, he then draws attention to the second key distinction of Anna, her, her great age. The the verb used here to describe Anna's age is actually the same word that's used to describe the old age of Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. And the way he phrases it here is sort of redundant in the original language. It literally reads, she was advanced in her many days. Like, Like she was old, and in case you didn't understand what that meant, she's lived a really long time. He's really drawing attention to her age. But not only was Anna older, we learn that she was also a widow. Luke tells us that her husband died just seven years into her marriage, which would have been around when she was in her her mid-twenties, maybe. And then after her husband died, she lived either until she was 84 years old or for another 84 years. We don't really know, it's not that clear, but she's either 84 or 105 at, at this time. And here's the crazy part, especially for us today. She never got remarried. She was widowed in her 20s, young, single, ready to mingle, and she never got remarried. Before we continue, I think it's worth the reminder for any of you who are in this room who are single that you do not have to be married to have a flourishing life or to finish well. You don't have to be married to have a flourishing life or to finish well. So Luke has established Anna as this single, widowed, retirement age prophetess. And and she's the kind of person that our society might disregard. But remember, Luke's establishing her credentials. She would have actually been highly regarded in ancient Israel. And I know what you're probably asking when we see what Anna's life was like. What did she do with all the time she probably had? Uh, Well, Luke actually tells us. so, So let's keep reading. Verse 37. She did not leave the temple serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. Here we see the first key element of aging well. That in order to prepare, we need a devotion that defines us. We need a devotion that defines us. Luke presents Anna as someone who is known for her devotion to the Lord. He says that she did not leave the temple. Now, this isn't literal. She wasn't having slumber parties in the temple courts. Uh, but, But he's emphasizing, he's exaggerating to draw attention to just how much her devotion to God marks her lifestyle. She's totally focused on serving God. So much so that she chooses singleness over remarriage so she can give herself fully to the Lord. We also have to remember that that she's a prophetess, someone who was supposed to hear from God. But at this point in history, God is silent, God doesn't speak through his prophets. And she's sitting there, not hearing from God, and waiting for the Messiah, the redemption of Israel, just like Simeon. But unlike Simeon, she doesn't know if she's ever going to see it. Simeon was told, Anna doesn't know. But instead of throwing up her hands, Anna lets her circumstances drive her to a deeper dependence and devotion to God. She commits herself in the time of waiting to a lifestyle of preparation and expectancy. And because of this, what happens? She becomes one of the only people in her generation to actually see the Messiah in the flesh. She was so devoted to the Lord. It would be good for us to to ask ourselves... Would you, uh, or would, would those close to you maybe, describe your Monday life as one that's characterized by an actual devotion to the Lord? Is your daily life marked with this kind of devotion that Anna shows? And if not, maybe we need to ask ourselves what we're devoted to. Or are you devoted to anything? We live in a culture that cares a lot more about preference and maximizing our options than any sort of commitment to Jesus or his kingdom or his community. Is your daily life marked by this kind of devotion? If we look back at at verse 37 again, we get a better idea of what Anna's devotion looks like in the temple. Luke says in verse 37, she did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. Serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. See, Anna's life reveals that that in order to cultivate this lifestyle of preparation, we don't only need devotion that defines us, but we need habits that form us. We need habits that form us. Anna is formed by these habits of prayer and fasting. They they shape who he is, awaken her to the joy of God's presence, and ultimately they prepare her to receive the baby Messiah. And we'll get to what the specific practices are in a minute, but but here's why I think habits like these are so important for us today. We are constantly being formed. We are constantly being formed formed. Sometimes it's by things that we aren't even aware of, but we as human beings are constantly being formed. In fact, many of our natural patterns of behavior behavior actually deform us from the image of Jesus. Cultural commentator Mark Sayers makes, makes this somewhat haunting observation about how our society shapes our behavior. Here's what he says, we are told that we are creative, original, spontaneous individuals believing what we choo- that we choose what to think, believe, desire, and feel. Yet, we are easily shaped by simple cues and basic psychological tricks, manipulated by those who are able to hijack our habits. Just think of the countless people who wish to be healthy yet find themselves purchasing junk food when their emotions drop or those who morally and philosophically oppose pornography yet are addicted. Just think of how many times a day you reach for your phone for no reason. See, friends, in a culture like this that primarily sees us as consumers, the the advertisements we see, the products we're sold, the technology we use, the entertainment that we devour, the, the routines that we unwittingly develop, all of these things have the power to shape us and hijack our habits. We are constantly being formed. It's just a question of how and by whom. So so if this is our reality, what we need then are habits of worship that replace what is shaping us in the wrong ways. Dallas Willard, who who has deeply shaped Christ's community with his work on formation, puts it this way. He says, it is primarily in the body and its social context that the work must be done to replace wrong habits with automatic responses that flow with the kingdom of Jesus and sustain themselves from its power. The replacement of habits remains absolutely essential to anyone who is to hear and do, and thus build his or her house on the rock. Without it, direct efforts in the moment of action to do what is right will seldom succeed. So so here's what he's saying. Habits of worship like Anna's aren't natural. We, we aren't going to become more like Jesus by accident. It takes a conscious effort and engagement to replace the natural habits with habits that form us into the image of Jesus. Something that I've been asking myself a lot lately and I want to ask you too is what habits are forming you? What habits are forming you? In what ways are you being formed either for good or for bad? What, what has shaped you into the person that you are today? Here's an even scarier way to put this question. What kind of person will you become if you continue on the trajectory you're on right now? What habits are forming you? For Anna, these habits are are prayer and fasting. They're two habits that often go together in Scripture. You'll read prayer, fasting, prayer, and fasting. And fasting is one of those that that we don't do quite as much. It's a little more obscure to us. So I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking what fasting is. Fasting is essentially a discipline that, that enables us to pay attention to what we pay attention to. It helps us pay attention to the things that we naturally pay attention to. It's a practice in which we, we empty ourselves of things that, that we might naturally seek to fill us. Uh, most traditionally, it's food. And if you can't tell, I often like to fill myself with, with food. Uh, but we take these things and we actually deny ourselves of those things that we look to for joy or comfort or satisfaction. And we deny ourselves of those things in order to center our attention and affection on the bread of life who truly satisfies Jesus. Often in Scripture, when you read about fasting, uh, it's associated with either longing uh, for something or or a loss that someone's experienced. For Anna, it probably was a little bit of both. The loss uh, of her husband and maybe some friends and the longing, the deep longing she had to see God redeem Israel. And we need to understand that fasting is not a way to impress God more, but a way to enjoy God more. In his book, The The Common Rule, business lawyer Justin Early says that fasting is to let your desires hang out in the open where you can observe them. This is especially important in a world uh, like ours where, where we have kind of an unquestioned fixation and reliance on food, don't we? Here's how John Piper describes it. He says, Most of us run the risk of being overly sensualized simply by having every craving satisfied and rarely pausing in a moment of self-denial to discover if there are alive within us spiritual appetites that could satisfy us at a much deeper level. When we fast... We are both becoming aware of our natural impulses, and if I can say it this way, we're wetting our appetite for God. We're, we're both recognizing the places we look to for dependence, and we're, we're we're placing our dependence on God. And what should happen, what hopefully happens, is that then, as that impulse arises for food or whatever it is, then instead of giving in, we direct our attention to God in prayer and increase our awareness of his presence. We're in the season where a lot of us have a, a mind that is set on New Year's resolution type things, uh, things we want to do or accomplish or uh, you know, people we want to become, New Year, New Me. Am I going to have a word for the New Year? Am I not going to have a word uh, for the New Year? Uh, but but and, and you probably all know the horrid results uh, of New Year's resolutions. You've heard the statistics. And what I don't want to do, I don't want to discourage you from New Year's resolutions, from trying to, to lose weight or... or, or uh, regulate your social media or break your addiction to planking or whatever it is you're trying to do this year. But I do think that there's a better and more vital way to live. Think about this. What could happen? What could happen if instead of cycling through new interests each year, we committed our whole lives, like Anna, to cultivating these few small countercultural practices of Jesus? How could we be shaped if we were people who were consistently seeking God through prayer and fasting well into our 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond? What could happen? So here's my my challenge to, to our community this morning. I want want each of us to to find a day in the next two weeks and and fast for a set period of time from either food or technology because I think those are the two things that probably naturally shape us most. So fast from either food or technology. Uh, You might want to start with fasting from one meal uh, or from one hour of technology. Uh, The more you do it, uh, the more you can develop. You might want to go 24 hours, maybe even longer. But however long you go and whatever you fast from, It's important that we spend that time praying for God to redirect our desires toward Him. Pray that your hunger for God would be greater than your hunger for anything else in the world. Pick a day, fast for a set period of time, and pray. These habits of prayer and fasting ultimately prepare Anna for what happens next in the story. Read with me this last verse in verse 38. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. At that very moment... The indication that we get is that if Anna hasn't cultivated this lifestyle of preparation, if she hadn't devoted herself fully to the Lord, if she hadn't been formed by these practices of prayer and fasting, if she wasn't in the habit of going to the temple consistently, she would have missed the moment. She would have missed the moment. Her habits and devotion get her ready to receive Jesus. And this reveals something else that we need if we're going to age well. We need a devotion that that defines us, and we need habits that form us. But more than anything, we need a message that outlasts us. We need a message that outlasts us. Because ultimately, Luke's portrait of Anna isn't even really about Anna. It's about the message of Jesus. And and Anna's first response to, to receiving this message is What? it's joy. It's joy. She gives thanks to God. With every reason to be bitter, Anna is ready to respond with gratitude. Anna's lifestyle of devotion has resulted in joy. As she has said no to more through fasting, she's been enabled to give thanks for the things that she has. And because of that, she's filled with a deep delight and thankfulness that God has allowed her to witness the beginning of her salvation. And that that joy that Anna experiences uh, makes her second response possible. She turns with that joy and she interprets the message of Jesus and shares it with the other people who were also waiting. After years of prophetic silence, God has spoken and she gets to work telling people. And I find this so interesting because Simeon, who came before her, sees Jesus and sings his beautiful song and then basically says all right, I'm ready to die. But Anna sees Jesus and she says, I'm not done. I'm not done. She starts sharing the message as long as she can with people who will probably live to see him do far more things than she will. And here we sit today and that message has outlasted her over 2,000 years. Commentator Daryl Bach offers this insight on the temple scene with Simeon and Anna. I think this is so, so important. He says this passage offers a whole perspective on life and contentment. Here are two people near the end of their life still serving God full steam ahead. Contentment is not a matter of age or energy level, neither is it a function of accumulation. It is defined by an openness to serve God and to share him with others. If you're here this morning, and you are of retirement age, please, please, please hear this. God wasn't done working in and through Anna well into her hundreds, and he's not done with you. He's not done with you. Your Monday still matters. You are still important contributors to human flourishing. Your faithful and fruitful lives are still valuable to our congregation, to our city, and to our world. We need you. My grandma died when I was a junior in high school. And while we were sad to lose her and the joy that she quite literally brought our lives, she made it so abundantly clear that she was prepared to meet Jesus. My heart is also heavy this morning because I learned last night that one of my former students passed away in a car accident in her early 20s yesterday afternoon. Her middle name was also Joy, and her life embodied it. And although she wasn't given the gift of old age, I know by her lifestyle that she was prepared to meet Jesus, even if she wasn't ready for it. In the same way, Anna, a widowed woman, lived a life of expectancy that prepared her to meet Jesus, both in the life she lived and in the life to come. Are you prepared to meet Jesus? Are you prepared to meet Jesus? This is a question uh, for everyone. If if you're not a Christian, this question is for you today. Are you prepared to meet Jesus for the first time today? This joyous news of salvation that, that Anna is sharing is for you It's a story of redemption and hope and healing that is possible for you today. Are you prepared to meet him and respond to him? If you are a Christian, this question is still for you. You're not off the hook. Are you prepared to encounter Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to meet with Jesus, to speak to Jesus, to serve Jesus, to hear from Jesus day and night and night and day in your daily lives? For all of us, are we prepared to meet Jesus on our last day? We don't know when it will be, but what what direction are your habits taking you? Is the life you are living today preparing you to face your last day whenever it comes? We are all living our lives and ordering our loves and spending our time in ways that are preparing us in one way or another. Are you prepared? Let's pray. Soon and very soon. And God, we pray that it is that you come. But in the meantime, Lord, would you help us to develop habits, to live lives of devotion, to be committed to your message that will go beyond us? Would you help us to pray, prepare ourselves? To meet you both today and forever. God, in the meantime, I pray that, that we would be a church that is a counterculture to the world of millennials who are avocado toast and older people who are okay boomered. God, I pray that we would be a place where where, where old and young and middle-aged and little kids would come together as one, centered around the gospel message of your son Jesus. Growing together, preparing together. We pray this in in the name of your son, Jesus, and by his spirit. Amen.